This is the Point of Drew Podcast. Point of Drew. We're back at it again. We're deep in the NBA playoffs. Barton's winning some big money on his EuroLeague soccer bets, some college baseball bets as well. What's up, Barton? How's it feel to be, uh, you know, so much richer with all those winnings? What's good, Z? Yeah, it's been a, it's been a good week. You know, we got a lot going on from a, a, a sporting perspective, and so like to dip my toe. I'm not a I'm not a huge college baseball or, or soccer fan for that matter, but uh, you know, when when there's games on, uh, I'm at the beach right now. Not much going on. Have a couple beers, throw some money on. Uh, on the Euros or or uh, college baseball, it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's that time of year, man. Omaha. Yeah, it sounds like the life right there. I'm a little jealous. Uh, on the beach, drinking beers, just betting all day. Sounds pretty perfect. But uh, good episode coming up. I know uh, we definitely wanted to break down everything that's been going on in the NBA. A lot happening. We had a crazy past weekend. Uh, a couple game sevens went down. Uh, we'll look into some of the teams that ended up losing in those series and are, are now out having a game plan for their futures. Then we'll take a look at these uh, conference finals matchups. We got the the Suns matched up with the Clippers out West, the Bucks and the Hawks in the East. I'm excited for these. I'm excited to break it down. It's super, super uh, fun episode ahead for sure. It's I'm excited to just catch up with you. We haven't really had a chance to to talk through all the, the NBA craziness. I know three of the series really went the distance going, going six or seven uh, aside from the Suns just kind of routing Denver. Um, so a lot of good basketball to, to catch up on and uh, a, lot of, a lot of good basketball to look forward to with the, the conference finals coming up this week. Absolutely. I'm pumped for it. But before we dive into all that, you know what we're going to hit on first. It is Jersey Corner. And this week we've got Jersey 32. Uh, started looking into this. I think this may have an argument for the best Jersey corner number that we uh, have ever done. So I'll let you start off with a, a few honorable mentions. I assume you're going to have a, a few to give out here because uh, this list was long when I started looking up jerseys number 32. So take it away. Yeah, man, 32. Who would have thought, right? Um, it doesn't seem like a super memorable number. There's a couple guys you think of right away, but uh, wow, I, I had no idea it had the depth that it does. Um, so plenty of guys to shout out in the honorable mention section here. I'm going to lead things off. I'm going to preface this. All the honorable mentions I'm going to, I'm going to say today are hall of famers. Uh, that's kind of the criteria to make, make my list, but there is one that I wanted to shout out. who's not yet a hall of famer. He might be, maybe not, uh, but it's Blake Griffin. Um, not a Hall of Famer necessarily, but he's a uh, we love Blake. Uh, he, he's been great, great, great at the dunk contest. Um, fun season in Brooklyn this year. Uh, always messing around with the part of my take, guys. Seems like a cool guy. Um, so wanted to shout out BG. Um, but then getting into the rest, I mean, like I mentioned, all Hall of Famers. Plenty of hoopers to shout out. You got Carl Malone, the mailman. Didn't really watch him much. I'm not a huge Carl Malone stand, but I think given all, all of his accomplishments, he deserves to make the honorable mentions. Shaquille O'Neal, uh, obviously. Um, Dr. J, Julius Irving is making the list as well. Also worth 32. A lot of big guys. Malone, Shaq, and Dr. J, all, all big guys. Kevin McHale as well. 
Um, Bill, Bill Walton, uh, Pac-12 After Dark specialist, uh, great career as an announcer, but also, uh, you know, put some time in on the hardwood. I think he deserves a shout. And then uh, Magic Johnson would round out the list uh, of hoopers I wanted to, to, to shout out there. And then um, in terms of the other sports, we'll keep going. It's an extensive list. Pitchers, uh, Sandy Koufax, uh, a legend, uh, as well as Roy Holiday, RIP uh, to both of them, really. But uh, Roy Holiday more recently, um, both great pitchers, both Hall of Famers uh, in the MLB. And then a few running backs, uh, starting with Marcus Allen, great running back, wore 32 at both USC and uh, the Oakland Raiders. Um, Jim Brown, legend from the beginning, great Browns running back. And, uh, you know, finally, I really struggled with this. I wanted to put this guy as my winner for – uh, you know, really his body of work. I'll just leave it at that. But OJ Simpson, uh, you know, he, he did it all on and off the field and, um, you know, deserves, <laughs> deserves a shout at least at honorable mention. So the, the, that's kind of my list so far. I haven't gotten through my winner there, but, um, but yeah, it's great, great number. Who, who do you have? Dang, that's a great list right there. And you pretty, every name that I was planning on uh, shouting out, you mentioned, uh, but I, I'm surprised to, to hear who your winner is. Cause, uh, you uh you listed my winner and all of my honorable mentions. So you've got someone that I didn't have on my list as your winner. So I'm excited to hear what you got there. But was gonna start my shout-outs with the Blazer legend, the broadcasting extraordinaire and Pac-12 lover, Bill Walton. Yeah. Uh got gotta show some love for Bill Walton on the pod. Uh, you know, maybe we can get him on sometime, chop it up with Bill Walton. He's uh probably on the Mount Rushmore of ideal guests to get on the show. So uh, shout out to Bill Walton there. I uh, was going to shout out to Kevin McHale. Um, you hit on Marcus Allen. Um, he was one of the most fun running backs that I've seen highlights from. Obviously, didn't get to watch him a ton, uh, but some of his highlights are crazy. I uh, was going to shout out Sandy Koufax, uh, the Dodger legend, the, the Southpaw. Yep. Um, definitely a shout out for Dr. J as well. Um, he, he really did some just stuff that had never been seen before on the basketball court. So definitely was uh, kind of a trailblazer and what he was able to accomplish. Um, and then really, so I had all of those guys listed as honorable mentions and then I kind of separated out. I think there's a top three, um, mm -hmm. athletes that are kind of in their own tier in this, uh, category. And so I'll give you two of the names here and then one of them is going to be my winner but in the class of their own uh put jim brown as one of those guys who wore 32 who arguably the the goat running back uh, yeah possibly the greatest of all time he was obviously well well before our time and well before even you know the game that resembles modern day football um but for everything that he does the legend that he brought to the sport some of the things he did off the uh off the field in terms of, uh, you know, just his overall social justice movements and a really difficult time too. like Jim Brown, clearly a legend, clearly deserves a shout out there. And then uh, another guy who definitely was in their class of their own is uh, Shaq. Uh, definitely has an argument for being the best center in NBA history, five-time champ. And you can't forget he is an Oscar winner. Uh, yeah. So. Don't know if anyone else on that list has that claim to fame. So that's where I'll wrap up my honorable mentions. Uh, but like I said, man, I'm excited to see see who your winner is because it's someone who is not on my list. So let's hear it. 
Yeah, and, and before I go jump into the winner, uh, I like the approach you took there. There's there's a lot of names at 32, and so dividing it up into tiers, I think, is, is the right way to do it, even if we're talking honorable mentions. I, I will say I'm a little surprised O.J. Simpson didn't get a shout from you, but, hey, we'll, well, we can hey, save that for another. I, I still have a winner. Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, oh, cool. Well, before you hit your winner, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll share mine. Um, my winner, my best to ever do it at 32. Uh, it's very biased pick, but I'm, I'm sticking with it, man. It's Tyran Matthew. Um, oh. he, he, he wore 14 and seven in college, uh, for LSU. So didn't really get to 32 until he made it to the pros. Um, but has really worn it his whole career, uh, both for the Cardinals and the Chiefs and man, uh, Tyron Matthews, as you know, uh, many listeners probably know Tyron Matthews probably, when it comes down to it, he's got he was on LSU. He's been on the Chiefs. He he won the Super Bowl with the Chiefs. Is probably our, our most valuable defensive player. Was really the captain of that defense. And um, yeah, man, he. When I think of thirty two, of course Magic Johnson comes to mind. Of course Shaquille O'Neal comes to mind. But Tyron Matthew is, is my goat. My best to ever do it at thirty two, just for what he did uh, for uh, in college at LSU. Uh, all, all the forced turnovers, all the highlights. Uh, earning that nickname, the Honey Badger, and then um, somehow by by happenstance, by, by luck, ended up on my favorite pro team, the Kansas City Chiefs, and, and helped uh, really contributed quite a bit in, in winning that Super Bowl. Um, so Tyron Matthew, he's, he went out earlier this week and said he has every intention to retire a Chief, and uh, that couldn't have made me any happier. So Tyron Matthew, I don't think – I don't see a, a number change in his future, uh, fortunately, even though they did change that rule in the, uh, in the NFL, but – um, yeah, he's, he's my best to ever do it at 32, a little bit of a curveball, but Tyran gets it for me. It's a curveball and it's a bold pick, but right on brand for you. I love that pick Tyron Matthew. Definitely. Uh, he's, he's the only chiefs Jersey that I own. The only football yeah. Jersey I own for a matter of fact. So, uh, I'm definitely a huge fun, fan of honey badger too. Love that pick. Um, best ever to do it. Whoa. Number 32 Tyran. I know you only own one football jersey, but you might get an, you might be getting another in the mail soon after this week. An Oakland Raiders player. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, anyway, we'll we'll uh, we'll move on from that comment. But my winner here, Irving Magic Johnson. He, uh, in my eyes, is the best to ever wear thirty-two. Uh, like we mentioned, there's. A really long list of names that uh, got mentioned for 32, but Magic Johnson is the standout for me. Uh, three-time MVP, three-time finals MVP. Uh, he only wore 32 his entire career. Uh, he was Showtime. He was that Showtime Lakers team that, um, you know, really made basketball exciting going back and forth with Bird in the 80s. Um, the Celtics versus Lakers matchups were incredible. Uh, and really was kind of one of the players who started bringing the NBA to the forefront of national attention uh, just because of the style he played with, uh, the flash, the no-look passes, the, you know, everything he was doing uh, was just incredible. He was a ton of fun. So uh, overall, I think Magic Johnson definitely has an argument um, and really a very strong argument for being the best point guard uh, to ever live and play basketball. Uh, and in my eyes, he's probably a top five player of all time and definitely deserves this award as the best to ever wear number 32. So I'm sticking with Magic Johnson on this one. I think it's a smart pick. He, uh, 
he changed the game forever. That's for sure. The first ever big body point uh, and probably the best big body point we've seen uh, to date. So I love it, man. That's uh, that's on brand for you as well. So I think we both we both kind of followed our, our instincts here. <laughs> yeah, I'd say we did. I've got Magic Johnson. You've got Tyran. Um, you know, I love those two picks. Definitely on brand, like you mentioned. So that'll wrap it for Jersey Corner number 32. Two undisputed goats wearing 32, Tyran yep. and Magic. Uh, but now let's move on, man. Let's talk about this crazy NBA weekend we just saw. Uh, but before we get into it, you know we've got a quick word from our friends over at Shug's Bagels. All right, Z, let's play a little game of fact or fiction. Let's do it. Fact or fiction. Shug's has the best bagels, rolls, and wraps south of the Big Apple. Ah, facts. That is correct. One for one. Off to a hot start. Fact or fiction. Shug's recently replaced Wheaties as the true breakfast of champions. <laughs> uh, sounds right to me. Fact. Correct again. He's heating up. Fact or fiction. Shug's has the best bagels in all of Texas. Oh, you already know that's big fact. Yes, that is right again. Three for three. Shug's Bagels is in fact all of those things and more. And they'll be open all week serving up that ooey gooey goodness. Go check them out in Park City's Village near SMU campus and on social media at Shug's Bagels. Shug's Bagels, the bagel that Texas deserves. All right, man. Like I said, a crazy NBA weekend. Uh, we saw a couple game sevens. We saw some surprises. We saw overtimes. We saw some wild things go on. Uh, but I figured we could just all, you know, break it down. Let's just go day by day of what happened over the weekend. And I figured we could start with Friday and start with your Utah Jazz. They're taking on the Clippers in game six. I'll just I'll just give the floor to you right here. How do you feel about that that Utah game and and just seeing them go out the way they did? Man, uh, I can't believe it's it's it was on Friday. It's already been three four days, and I'm still pretty depressed about. It. I'm I'm bummed about the way the uh, the Jazz came out in that second half because right the first half I think they led by 18 or, or 20 after the at the break uh, they were on fire, looked exceptional, came out in game six, uh, backs against the wall and really answered the bell there in the first half, looked uh, looked really good. Um, and so I was excited. I was uh, thinking, hey, we're going to get, you know, we're going to get a game seven here. At least it's looking that way. And then the wheels really fell off in the second half. The offense started stalling out um, and some exceptional performances. The, the, really the Terrence Mann game is, is the title of that game because, he took over in that second half, scored, I think, 25 points. And, um, you know, the the Jazz left him open. They didn't. They only had so many defenders. And so Terrence Mann was getting a lot of good looks, and he was cashing them in. So credit to the youngin. Um, you know, he he really came through for, for that team with Kawhi being out and, and needed another guy to step up. And, um, you know, he did in a big way. And so it's it hurts me. It pains me after such a great year. The Jazz get the one seed. They're dominant all year. Uh, a game that I really sh uh, thought they could have won, you know, in a series where things were stacked against them. But uh, you, with the Kawhi injury happening, there was really uh, a good chance for them to, to advance. And 
just unfortunately couldn't put it together. A lot of things, you know, Mitchell not being in full health, I think really changed the, uh, changed the outcome of the series. Um, yeah, I don't think he played bad down the stretch, but uh, some of those other, some of their other contributors, I think could have played a little better. We really realized some things about the jazz where, you know, Rudy Gobert yeah, as valuable a player as he is, the defensive player of the year, when the Clippers go small, they just they, you kind of struggle to put in places. You can't really do much on the offensive end, and it really shows in a playoff series. And so you learn, you know, Rudy Gobert's value in a playoff series looks a little bit different than it does over the course of the regular season. You learn guys like Royce O'Neal, although he's a, a solid role player, uh, you know, you're going to need a better wing defender when you're going up against some some top teams in, in the West, like the Clippers. And so uh, learned a lot, I guess, it, but um, definitely bummed about it because, man, uh, I thought the Jazz at least had had the legs to get into the conference finals um, and unfortunately came up a little short. Yeah, man, I get why you're bummed, too. I mean, they were the, the best team in the regular season, finished the, the regular season with a 52-20 and 20 record, best record in the league through the, the regular season. Coming into this playoffs, they looked solid against Memphis. Um, going into the series, you know, they obviously started the series 2-0. Things were looking good for the Jazz. Um, but they just kind of met their match with this Clippers team. And, uh, you know, it's a Clippers team who we've come to make jokes about them not being resilient, not being able to get their shit together and step up when they need to. Um, but that's the exact opposite of what they've actually been doing this year. Uh, they have role players who are stepping in and contributing. You obviously mentioned Terrence Mann, 39 points, a career high, kind of out of nowhere. Um, he dropped 39 points. He had 20 points in the third quarter alone. Um, you had Reggie Jackson in that game six, 27 points, 10 assists. Uh, Reggie Jackson's been on a new level this, this um, postseason, uh, really getting hot at the right time. Uh, Paul George, I think, had 28 points in that game, so – he was showing out as well, um, but the, the Jazz had a 25-point lead at one point during that game, and it all just came crumbling down. Uh, Donovan Mitchell clearly wasn't healthy, so obviously that's a, a huge uh, detriment to the Jazz when they're trying to, to fight and win a game. But, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing was, like you mentioned, what we learned about Rudy Gobert and who he is as a postseason player. Uh, he was getting cooked, especially like you mentioned, the, the Clippers are going small ball. He's having to try and get out on the perimeter, and that's just not what he's built for. He's not able to, uh, you know, contain players on the perimeter. He's not able to defend the paint, which is his normal responsibility, and then also get out to the corner to contest on three-pointers. So it's given guys like Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann open looks all night. Um and, and then you could just feel that Quinn Snyder didn't know what to do either because you just signed Rudy Gobert to a, a massive max deal. Uh, give him $200 million. It's, he's in the first year of that deal. You're, as a head coach, you can't just pull your, your most expensive player on the roster in the fourth quarter and, and put him on the bench. Um, for one, you're hoping that his impact turns around. He's able to figure it out, but also – you can't lose that player in terms of his buy into the organization, to the coaching staff. Um, so it just kind of throws everything into a, a weird rut. And uh, the Jazz really, um, you know, just weren't able to get it together. And props to the Clippers. I think Tyron Liu has kind of submitted himself as the ultimate mid-series adjuster in the, in the coaching ranks. 
Um, so he was really impressive. And then Paul George, uh, you know, we're used to making the the PG slander jokes, but he's had it together, man, and, and really finished the series out strong. So the Clippers deserved it. Um, you know, as much as the Jazz had some shortcomings, I think the Clippers, you know, really showed they deserved to move on to the conference finals. So I know that's a rough one for you, Barton, but I think you're, uh, your Jazz are recovered. They're still in a good spot moving forward. So hopefully they bounce back. Yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm thinking they can, um, you know, like you mentioned, the Clippers, props to them. Uh, it was a great series win, especially with Kawhi going down uh, midway through that series. And they really kind of flipped the script on the narrative of their team, I would say. They seemed soft. They seemed, um, you know, uninterested, not fully bought in. Uh, a lot of the times in the bubble last season, we were coming up short and, um, they really flipped the script. When you guys got like when you got guys like Marcus Morris and Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann, all these role players, you know, putting their hearts on the line and and, and showing up in these clutch situations, man. That's uh, they they really flipped the script on the narrative of their team. I think they they're, they're a gritty bunch, and I think a lot of that uh, is it goes credit that a lot of that credit goes to Tyron Lue, um, and when he's been able to do it from a, a coaching perspective and. Uh, getting those guys ready um, and keeping their mindset in the right place. And so, yeah, props to the Clippers. I, I, the one thing, I'll, the final thing I'll say on, on the Jazz season is, um, you know, definitely fell short of expectations, but I think the silver lining is, is seeing Donovan Mitchell uh, from a development standpoint continue to go up and go up. And now he's, you know, we're, we're going to talk about Devin Booker here in a minute, but I think he and Devin Booker and Jason Tatum, uh, along with Luka, Jokic, Trey Young, these these guys are, are really part of the next wave of, of, of superstars. And um, I think Mitchell is, is just as good as many of them. And so I'm excited uh, to, to see where he his game continues to go, reach new heights. But I think that's really the, the silver lining. They've got a one-of-one one superstar in this league moving forward as a franchise. And I think that's, uh, that's all you can ask for. Yeah, absolutely. I think you, you're completely right about that. So um, we'll, we'll wrap that game for now. I know you're sick of talking about it, thinking about the Jazz going down. So let's move on to uh, to the game we saw on Saturday, which was a, a wild overtime game between the Bucks and the Nets. Game seven, uh, we saw a KD versus Giannis duel. Um, crazy finish to that game. The, the Bucks were up by five with a minute left. Uh, Brooklyn comes back, hits a couple shots. KD hits the dagger that, that the arena thought was the game winner, but turns out that, that Kevin Durant has some big ass feet and his toes were on the three point line. So it was just a two pointer that tied it up, sent the game to overtime uh, in overtime. The, the bucks were able to just kind of control it really slow overtime to start. Um, no one was really scoring. And then the bucks were able to just get a few buckets towards the end, but Giannis finished the game with 40 points uh, really kind of took control. He was incredible in that game. And as good as Kevin Durant was, which is, you know, the best version I've ever seen of Kevin Durant, which is incredible to say after him coming back on uh, from the Achilles injury, uh, I think Giannis showed that he was just as good in that game seven. So, um, you know, Giannis got just what he needed from Middleton, who was solid after a shaky start. Drew struggled a lot throughout the game, but then came alive late in the fourth quarter, hit a couple of timely shots, and that was all the Bucs needed to, to get that overtime win. But, man, crazy game. Crazy game. One of those games where I always kind of remember where you are when you're watching it when 
Durant comes down and hits that clutch game tying shot. Could have been the game winner, but like you said, his 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 big ass feet uh, got the best of him on that one. Um, unfortunate Durant can't say it enough. He's the he's kind of dominated this playoffs as as you know he is the guy. He's put the team on his back over and over again. I think he played all forty eight minutes in the final three games of that series, and so was gassed. Uh, needed that to be a three. Needed that uh, to to be the, the series ender and. Um, unfortunately his foot was on the line and they just didn't have the juice in OT to get it done. The, the Bucks had more, more, more momentum there um, and, and just more juice in, in, in the, the final period and overtime. And, you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever left a walked away from a series feeling more weird, right. You know, like Durant has this incredible series uh, the Nets are the better team. You know, they, it feels like they deserve to win. We were talking earlier in the series of, if coach Bud, the, the Bucks coach is even coming back next season. Um, and still, I don't know, like they, they won the series, but yeah. I, I, I still think a coaching change could be in order there. Um, and so it feels really weird uh, that the, the Bucks are moving on. Well, yeah, I think it ultimately comes down to uh, Giannis as good as he played. I just didn't think, I didn't think he could pull it off because of his lack of uh, ability to shoot the jump shot. And, he really proved a lot of haters wrong. He's back in the Eastern Conference Finals for the second time um, since he, he made it back in 2019, uh, taking on the rap when he when he lost the Raptors in six after going up 2-0. So chance to, to write the the narrative for him and his career as well, and going up against a Hawks team where I think they'll definitely be favored um, heading in and, and has a chance to make his first finals. And so as much as uh, this definitely feels weird to me about the the Bucks moving on, I do think it's well deserved by Giannis. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And and look, there's no doubt that if this Nets team is fully healthy, they have, you know, 100% James Harden hamstring on the court. If Kyrie Irving stays healthy and is able to finish that series, uh, there's really no doubt that Brooklyn is the better team, has more power, um, and probably could have won that series. But that shouldn't take away from anything that the Bucs did. Uh, the Bucks won the series for a good reason. They, uh, you know, put together a roster that could uh, match up with Brooklyn pretty well. And at the end of the day, this Bucks team deserves to be moving on to the conference championship where they are now. And uh, now the Bucks of all four teams that are left in it are the favorite to win it all. And I think that's well-deserved. I think they're really going to have a shot at doing it. So, um, you know, props to the Bucks. I do think it is a well-deserved win. Uh, despite the Brooklyn injuries, despite everything um, that, that went on there. But props to the Bucs. I'm glad to see them moving on. I think they have a good shot at winning it all now. So, uh, you know, that was Saturday's game. Moving on to Sunday, the last day of the weekend. Um, you know, the first game that day, we saw the Suns and Clippers game one, uh, which was a super fun game. We saw Devin Booker, his first career triple-double, Finished the game with 40 points, 13 boards, 11 assists. Went killer, God mode for for Devin Booker. Um, Paul George balled out too. Reggie Jackson, like I mentioned earlier, he was playing well. uh, But it just so happened the Suns were too much down the stretch. Pulled away late. Um, You know, no Chris Paul didn't come to bite him, but uh, no Kawhi Leonard for the Clippers came back to bite the Clippers a little bit in this one. So uh, that one, another super fun game. Uh, but props to the Suns, man. They're really rolling right now. Exactly. It was a, it was a hell of a game one. Uh, I'm hoping every game in this series is that exciting. Um, 
and yeah, I think the Suns proved it again, man. They they're they're a gritty bunch, and yeah, it's been a, a little bit of a lackluster, I guess, series so far, at least in Game One and, and probably Game Two and potentially three with having two of the biggest stars in CP3 and Kawhi out. But the game did not disappoint. Like you said, Booker going nuts, the triple-double with 40 points. Um, I will say this about Booker after watching him in this playoffs more than anything. His shot creation and shot making in general is is exceptional. It's better than I, I, I really realized um, previously. I think what I was kind of putting together in my head is – I think he's just below that tier one of, of shot makers. Uh, truly special guys getting their own shot and being able to make it like Durant, like Kawhi, like Steph Curry. Uh, I think he and, and, you know, guys like Jason Tatum are, are right there in ISO situations just below that top tier of Durant and Kawhi in terms of guys that can just it, – it, it's a skill set that's so important in the playoffs is just – clear out, get him the rock, and have him get a bucket. And, and Booker seems like one of the best in the league at that point. I think that's going to help the Suns potentially make the finals here. Definitely, and I completely agree with that. And I think one thing even to add on a little bit further is uh, one thing that stood out to me watching Devin Booker this playoffs, you know, there are a lot of really good players who can make any shot that the defense gives them. Devin Booker doesn't take the shot the defense gives him. He gets the shot that he wants every single time. He'll get to his spot. He'll come off that high ball screen, find the elbow jumper. He'll get exactly where he wants to and knows where he wants to take that shot and gets to that spot every time, which is an ability very few people have. So he's been a ton of fun to watch. I'm excited to see him, you know, continue to develop and, who knows, man? The, the Suns could do anything at this point. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, the way they've come out and showed out in this postseason has been unreal. So uh, they, They've been so fun. Like, I think I, now that the Jazz are looming, I got to be – I'm probably rooting for the Suns. The Hawks have been fun as well. So, between one of those two teams. But you got CP3. I'm, I'm hoping he can come back soon. That story's been – that's probably the best story left in the playoffs is a guy like CP3. Yeah. Uh, leading that team to a to a championship, he's seeking his first title ever. I love the Monty Williams redemption story. I love that him and CP3 have been together for so long, dating all the way back to the time in New Orleans and having to go to OKC for during Katrina. Like they just have quite a history that I don't think people, a lot of people realize that the Suns team has. And then you got a guy like Booker who's trying to ascend to that superstar level status. He's yeah, you know, really doing doing a good job. I think he's making a case for himself. And, um, you know, of course, more than anything, maybe the best plot line of it all, you got Suns and four guy going to every <laughs> game, getting the camera love. I mean, that guy's the man after, uh, you know, he can throw a punch. He proved that he can throw a punch in Denver. And, and so I don't think uh, – I don't think many fights going to be breaking out in, in Phoenix with him on watch. Yeah, that's for sure. That's one guy you don't want to mess with. Um, and when you talk about Chris Paul too, like he's hasn't played in game one, he isn't playing in game two. Uh, the report that that Woj dropped today is that it is possible Chris Paul could be back for game three, um, when the series moves back to LA. So, um, that's something to watch for. And if Chris Paul comes back at the right time, is able to pick up right where he left off, um, that's a really dangerous Phoenix team. So, looking forward to see see that series, but anyway, um. That's going on. The last game that happened on Sunday night, the nightcap of it all, another game seven. 
Philly versus Atlanta. We saw Game Seven. Kevin Kevin Herter go, goes <laughs> God mode. Uh, it, it just kills it, man. Went out there and balled out. Uh, I think he finished with twenty seven points, and the Hawks needed every bit of that. Trey Young only went five of twenty four from the field, so one of his uh, poorest shooting performances in his playoff career, I would assume. Uh, since this is his first postseason appearance. 5 of 24 has to be his worst uh, field goal performance uh, so far in the postseason. So, you know, the worst game of Trey Young's postseason career, still Atlanta gets to win. Um, it, it really comes down to Philly just underperforming, completely losing it and falling apart. Yeah, man, I've been I've been waiting for this one to be brought up because I'm excited. I got to take my victory lap. Calling this it. one, Take calling it. this one, calling the Hawks in the series. I said from the beginning, I think the Sixers are frauds. Um, a lot of that was derived upon, you know, I think, I don't know if MB can stay healthy. He actually stayed healthy and, and it was pretty good throughout the series, but the rest of that team um, did not step up. Simmons, there's a lot of uncertainty around his future in, in Philadelphia after his poor performance through the playoffs, just not willing, not a willing offensive player. Uh, and when he's your second best player on your team and a guy that's not going to put the ball in the hoop, that's a problem. Um, and, you know, the guy who I've been dogging more than anyone, Tobias Harris, I, I think it's confirmed. This guy's just a fraud. I think he's a fraud. I think he's overpaid. I think he uh, is a streaky player who, who can have some good performances. But when the going really gets tough and you really need a guy to step up, I have no faith in Tobias Harris, and he has continually proved that you know he's not that type of guy that can put the team on his back when when uh, when it really matters. And um, so yeah, Philly, uh, I gotta I gotta give myself a little credit here. I think uh, I just thought they were frauds from the beginning. I didn't think that I didn't like the way they were built. Um, I didn't like that their best player is a center. Uh, and you know, despite being the one seed, being the overwhelming favorite in the series, they end up losing in seven to who I think is a pretty obviously worse team um, just because the Hawks better constructed their, their best players, a, a guard who can, uh, you know, put it in the hoop uh, can, can score from anywhere on the floor and have a little bit more offensive upside. And I think that's what matters when it comes down to it in the playoffs. And uh, so I'm excited about it. I think I, I do, I do want to shout out uh, Seth Curry, uh, the man played terrific all series, uh, you know, it was really kind of their second best player after Embiid uh, on the Philly side. And so I, th I do think he, he deserves some acknowledgement in terms of the way he played um, throughout the playoffs. Great year for him. Dallas, that trade is looking worse and worse for them every day. Imagine if they were able to have him. Can't, I mean, just thinking about if they were able to have a guy like Seth, that offensive firepower on their team this season, things could have look, looked a lot differently, but, Crazy series. I'm a little confused again, similar with the Bucks, uh, Bucks net series on th how this one ended up, but uh, I can tell you, I'm, I'm not bummed about it. Yeah, I'm with you. I am not bummed about it, but I'm glad you mentioned Seth Curry because coming down the stretch in the fourth quarter of these Philly Atlanta games, um, everything was being drawn up for either Embiid in the post or something on the perimeter for Seth Curry. Um, and you know, Seth Curry is great. He, he was super good in this series. Obviously, he's a terrific shooter, one of the best shooters in the league, but he's not a, a top one or two player on a deep playoff team. 
That's just the fact. Um, you know, Tobias Harris, he didn't step up when he needed to. And then obviously uh, we can keep this short because it's a conversation that everyone's heard all, all the last couple of days. Yeah. But Ben Simmons was nowhere to be found. He took 49 field goals in the entire series. 48 of those field goals came from the paint. The one that didn't was, was a little running, running three-pointer he took at the end of the second quarter in the first round. Um, he has clear offensive limitations that don't allow him to create the way that uh, he should be able to. Uh, he's one of the best passers in the entire league, but because he is no threat at all from to shoot outside of the paint, there's no need to push up on him and, and let him create those lanes, drive and kicks. Um, it really throws off his entire offensive game. And then, you know, further than the actual uh, offensive um, just detriments that he has, uh, it's clearly mental as well, man. And, and it's just sad to see from a guy like Simmons, but he does not want the ball in his hands. Uh, the Hawks are intentionally fouling him in the fourth quarter just to put him on the line. Um, in this series, he took three total field goals in fourth quarters. He went two of two from the field in the fourth quarter in game one, 0 for 0 in game two, one for one in game three, and then game four, five, and six, and seven, he went 0 for 0 from the field, not a single fourth quarter field goal attempted. He took three fourth quarter field goals the entire series. Um, just shows how limited he is, uh, both offensively from a scoring perspective and just mentally. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, if Philly wanted to win this series, they need a guy like Simmons, their number one overall pick, their max player, um, a guy that they've trusted to put their, their whole franchise's future in the hands of to step up and get it done. And it was clear that he was not the guy for the job. You're exactly right. And, and while I'm on this little this little victory lap kick, I got to. I gotta add on. I've been I've been saying this about Simmons from from the beginning, you as have, you know. You have. I uh, a lot of it was me being kind of jaded about how he burned out. Put a lot of effort into the season he spent in Baton Rouge, and I thought he could have done a lot more. But I've said from the beginning, the guy just doesn't seem like he's a, a winner and wants to put in the work to be truly great. He's very physically and naturally gifted, um, but I've you know from my first impression of him. Uh, you know, back uh, a few years ago when he was in college, I just never thought he had that winning DNA. Um, and that's starting to, to be become evident here in, in the NBA. Yeah, it's sad to see because he's a guy I'm definitely still rooting for. And, and I still think he has the tools to turn turn it around. Uh, but that mental block is big, man. And, and that is something that really hurts. So We'll see what he can do. We'll see if he uh, ever puts on a Philly uni uniform again. I'm not sure if he ever will. But speaking of, of trades and, and things that could go down in the offseason, uh, just real quickly, I wanted to spend a minute or two on each of these teams that did lose in the second round here um, and just kind of get a quick breakdown of what their offseason needs to look like, if they need to just stick to the script keep plugging, come back at it next year. If there needs to be some trades, if there needs to be anything major in terms of roster construction, maybe coaching uh, that goes on. Let's just break down the four losing teams from the second round real quick. Um, and we'll start with Denver. So I'll let you just, you know, talk about Denver first, but um, 
you know, what do you think Denver needs to do this offseason in order to come back and take another stab at a championship run? Well, first and foremost, you got to get the man, Jamal Murray, healthy, get him back. That that was one of the, the, the worst injuries, I think, this year really bummed me out because Denver, with the way Jokic was playing, the way that I think that was a well-put-together team, they obviously got Bowen Malone at the helm as well. Um, so I thought they had a good chance this year if, if Murray was able to stay healthy of coming out of the West. And so I think yeah, get Jamal Murray healthy, get get my man Will Barton re-signed. Um, I don't even know if he's actually uh, – his contract's up, <laughs> but they need to keep him around. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't think there's a lot of obvious moves. I, I'd kind of defer more to you and see – would want to hear what your thoughts would be on on, on changes for – for Denver, I just think I think they had the the, the ceiling to, to win the West and potentially win the finals this season. Um, I guess really more than anything, it's it's just getting getting Murray right and and getting keep Port, have Porter come along. I think there are were some medical questions about Porter coming in. Uh, you know when he was drafted and those kind of resurfaced here in the playoffs. He had that heating pad on a lot of the time and was not a was getting cooked by Chris Paul left and right not more of a matchup thing than anything but I think you got to examine re-examine his health and make sure you know you're doing what you can to to make sure that he's as healthy as possible and then get Murray healthy so I think it's more than anything just get get your roster to, to full strength yeah I think that's that's right and uh you know what it looks like too is that the the roster isn't going to be healthy enough next year to compete for the championship uh, Jamal Murray probably isn't going to play at all next season. So I think they have to gear everything towards 2023. That's got to be their year. Um, they're going to sign Jokic to the Supermax this offseason. He'll sign that extension. Um, they're they're going to re-sign Michael Porter Jr. this offseason to his max. Um, Aaron Gordon has two years left on his deal. So everything I think they do this offseason and throughout next season is gearing up for that 2023 season where they should be back to full strength, have Murray back on the court for the full season, another couple of years under Michael Porter's belt. You have Aaron Gordon on an expiring deal at that point, and you'll probably end up seeing what you could do for him if there's a you know some disgruntled superstar that we know is going to be out there in a couple of years. Uh, they have that trade piece if need be. Um, so I think right now they're sticking to the script, but ready to pounce on any moves that they need to make in order to, to gear up for that following season. So I think that we're, that's where Denver's at. Um, but at the end of the day, you still got the MVP on your roster and, uh, they're, they're in a good spot. So, uh, you know, I think they'll stick with it and, uh, you know, just stick to that plan, stick to, uh, looking ahead to the future there. So that's it for Denver. I'll let you take this away for the jazz though. Um, yeah, man. You know, I gotta hear from you. You know, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big Jazz guy. Um, unfortunately, after a, a terrific regular season, they fall short uh, in the playoffs this time. And I'm not coming up with a lot of answers in terms of their their go forward plan here. Seems like a lot of uncertainty. So I'm gonna defer to you here, and, and right. I'd love to just kind of hear. You know, obviously. Big Jazz fan. I'm hoping they can, you know, stay relevant, stay at the top, maximize their potential with with Donovan Mitchell in his prime. What what's their plan? You know, there's a lot of uncertainty with with guys like Gobert's performance and 
uh, you know, upgrading at the, the wing defender position uh, uh, from someone like Royce O'Neal. So we'd love to hear your thoughts on how they can stay relevant and, and keep chasing that title. Yeah, so I will tell you some things you may not be, you know, pleased to hear, but I do think uh, the Jazz have some real issues. It's not time to hit any panic button or completely blow things up. Um, but I think they're approaching a point where it's become clear they are not getting over that hump into title contention. And they now have this young superstar on their roster who's ready to win a title in the very near future. And they don't have the roster in place to help him do that. And so, um, you know, I think a couple of questions really need to be answered. And I don't necessarily have the answers to them, but you got to ask if Quinn Snyder really is the guy. Quinn Snyder's been a very good coach uh, for the last eight years during his time in Utah. But the question needs to be asked whether or not he is the championship coach that can put this specific roster um, in the spot it needs to be to win it all. Um, you got to figure out what the plan is with Rudy. You owe him over $200 million. And from what we saw in the playoffs, he's nowhere near a $200 million player. I uh, got played off the court last year in the playoffs when he went up against the Nuggets and, and Jokic this year. Uh, they left him on the court, but just left him out there dry to get cooked by Terrence Mann, who was knocking down threes. The Clippers went nuts when when Rudy was on the court to complete advantage of them. That's an issue you got to figure out. Um, you know, you can't let those small ball lineups defeat you the way they did. Uh, Rudy's the best paint defender in the league. But when your wing defenders are already so weak, um, you know, it, it doesn't help that everything's being funneled to him and, and they can't defend on the perimeter. So Rudy has to step out and pull him away from the paint where he really thrives. So there's a, a lot going on there. I think they really just need to put together a long-term plan, really evaluate if they can actually win a title with their current roster. My feeling is no. And because of that feeling, I think, uh, you know, it's worth exploring any trade you can get in order to build around Donovan Mitchell and his timeline, uh, which means compete in the next couple of years. So uh, I think the Jazz definitely have some issues. That's I hate to hear it, but I, I do understand it. I think a lot of those points are well founded um, with Mitchell. I got to ask. Because from my perspective, I feel like it's a pretty well-built team to maximize his skill set. He's the primary creator, and then you've got shooters around him, like in angles like a Bogdanovich, who can make open shots and, and create a little bit on their own, make make plays. Um, you've got, obviously, your, your rim defender and Rudy Gobert, even though he was exposed a little bit um, in, in these playoffs. And so in the near term, you know, what, what from a roster construction standpoint, what do you think they can address uh, right away? So uh, I do think one thing that they immediately need, I think a, a true point guard really helps when he's on the floor. Obviously, we did not get to see much of Mike Conley in the playoffs just because of his injuries. He can be that guy and definitely was in stretches during the regular season when he was healthy. Um, but he's a free agent, and I don't know – for sure, if the Jazz are going to bring him back, it depends, honestly, how much money Mike Conley's able to get elsewhere. He uh, probably is going to be offered some money from some spots that the Jazz just can't put the, the bag up there for. Uh, but I think having a point guard who can really run an offense, let Donovan Mitchell do a little bit more off ball, 
Um, his catch and shoot has been a lot better this season. So I think just having a primary creator um, that can handle the offense and then let Donovan uh, kind of do his thing without having to force him into being the playmaker for everyone. Donovan Mitchell is not a pass first guy. He's not a great passer. He's not a great creator in terms of offense that isn't him scoring. Um, and so I think another point guard could help. And then uh, just on the defensive end of things, uh, pretty much everywhere on the Jazz defense it w- was fairly weak except for Rudy. Rudy covers up a ton of um, Rudy covers up a ton of mistakes that happen out there. Uh, but they need some stronger defensive wings. Uh, Bogdanovich, not a defensive guy whatsoever. Um, he's probably a little bit overpaid at this point, and uh, just isn't quite a player worthy of winning a championship. Uh, And then Royce O'Neal, he's awesome, does a really good job in his role, but he's not a, you know, Kawhi stopper or a LeBron stopper in the Western Conference when it comes to those, um, you know, wing positions. Right. Yeah, I would would agree with that as well. Um, That's all, all those points make perfect sense to me. I think uh, the the Jazz, I mean, it sucks to say it, but they may have just – they just may have missed their window uh, a little bit, um, and I'm hoping not. But that's enough on the Jazz. The, the, the next team, I think, that has a lot of uh, <laughs> uncertainty going into this offseason is the Philadelphia 76ers uh, being upset, falling flat on their face uh, in, in – uh, the series against the Hawks. We'll see what their plan is moving forward, but uh, they've got some definitely moves to make uh, this offseason. What do you what do you see unfolding here in Philly? Yeah, so uh, I won't go too deep into the Ben Simmons talk again, but I will say would not surprise me one bit if if Ben Simmons never puts on a Philadelphia 76er jersey again. Uh, we know this past offseason, Philly just brought in one of the most trigger-happy general managers in the sport, and Daryl Morey. He's not afraid to make any type of moves. Um, he did not hire Doc Rivers, which is noteworthy. Um, he did not draft a single player on that roster, and he didn't really trade for any player on that roster. And the point of saying that is to say that no one is safe and, um, you know, Maury's been vocal that that Philly team was not a championship level team. And we know he wants to put together a championship level team. So, um, you know, there are issues in Philly. And I think that Daryl Maury is probably going to go try and fix every single one of them through trades. Um, so I would expect some, some madness in Philly. Um, the one thing that we do know is that Joel Embiid will be inking that Supermax extension. Uh, I think that's pretty much a guarantee, but they have a lot of other questions. Uh, You know, they have to decide whether they want to bring back Danny Green. Um, They need to look into trading Ben. Maybe you trade Tobias if you can get good value. Um, You have some other good young guys like Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thibel who are really, um, you know, kind of valuable pieces to have. So it's just going to be interesting to see what Philly does. I have no idea what they're going to do, and I'm not even going to speculate because Daryl Morey will surprise all of us, but I would expect uh, some moves to be made. Yeah, Morey, Morey definitely makes things exciting. Uh, there's a lot of moves to be made, and, and you know he's a guy who, who likes making moves. And so 
Um, I expect some things to be unfolding in, in Philadelphia. I expect that team to look a lot different, uh, even maybe at head coach. I mean, the Doc Rivers experiment, I think, worked to a degree, but they did fall short and questionable on how he handled a lot of things, playing Simmons in late game situations. I guess you kind of have to, given his potential and, and just kind of uh, value in, in general. But we'll see what happens with Doc in, in Philly. And the, the one thing, the one point, the final point I want to make on Philly is just goes back to a little bit more Tobias Harris slander. Uh, I just can't believe that that guy is making $35 million a year. He's, he's literally, if you look at Philly's cap, he takes up almost 25%. So a fourth of their entire cap space belongs to Tobias Harris. And he's got not even a guy I can trust to make a shot down the stretch. And Seth Curry, by comparison, is making $7 million a year, and he's without question a more valuable player the entire playoffs than Tobias Harris. And so I think that really – you got to think long and hard about how your roster is constructed and who you're paying the big bucks to because Simmons and Tobias Harris currently – I mean, yes, like you mentioned, Embiid's going to get that super max this offseason – and Bede and Harris right now are their two highest paid players. And neither of those guys were, were all that valuable. I'd say, you know, maybe fourth and fifth most valuable player on, on that team this uh, this postseason, which is, is just not going to get it done. So they've got to reevaluate and reprioritize who they're paying and how their roster is constructed because at present it's, it's just not going to work. Yeah, you know, one thing I think is, is kind of funny is uh, so Tobias Harris was a clipper at the time he signed that. Uh, massive contract you know who the gm was for the clippers at the time it was doc rivers he was acting as coach and gm uh, i'm pretty sure so uh he's now now his coach again back in philly um but yeah there's a chance that daryl morey could do something crazy get rid of both of them um it'll be tough to do and i do think doc's gonna stick around and have another shot with hopefully a, a updated roster but um, stuff's going to go down in Philly, but anyway, let's move on to Brooklyn, a place where I don't think anything's going to go down. Other than some changes to the coaching staff, um, you know, in Brooklyn, seems like their plan just has to be to stay the course, right? Yeah. I mean, there's really not much you can do. I do think there are some changes they can potentially make. They looked a little thin, uh, this year, those role players, Joe Harris was uncharacteristically bad. Um, in the Buck series. And so, uh, you know, maybe address, maybe adding a, a little bit more from a depth perspective, but really more than anything, just get your guys healthy, get them run back out there. Uh, Durant was truly special this offseason. And so I think he'll be able to pick up right where he left off. And uh, we know what Kyrie and Harden can do um, when they get going. They can absolutely cook. And so just get those guys healthy um, and, you know, take it from there. I think Steve Nash. He got some valuable reps this season. Uh, unfortunately, it fell short for him. But um, in his first season, I think he, he accomplished quite a bit. So I don't think you change much if, if you're Brooklyn. Um, run back the same group. Maybe look to, to add a piece here or there. But guys like Bruce Brown, uh, guys like Timothy uh, Cavarro, TLC, um, you know, they, they have role players that stepped up and, and, and played well this season. But I do think that they can maybe add a little bit more. Um, that would be my only change. What about you? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, definitely stay the course, just get healthy, get right, come back, run it back next year. Uh, but with that being said, there is some room for improvement around the edges. Um, you never know who's going to be in the buyout market next year. 
Uh, they could definitely use a, a true center at times, um, you know, just to come in and have a center that can play minutes. Uh, like DeAndre Jordan, they're paying $10 million a year to. He didn't play a single minute in the postseason, um, which, which is kind of sad. I mean, Nick Claxton, I think, is a really good player and, and probably deserves to be a starting level center. Um, but there's still going to be a few little pieces like that that they just need to answer and really find a way to work with. So um, I think that those all get answered. People are going to want to go to Brooklyn, be a part of that team now. So I don't think that should be a problem just to work around the edges for them. Um, I think the big changes are going to kind of come in the coaching staff, um, not with Steve Nash. I think Nash had a fine season, definitely proved that he, um, you know, can be a, a good NBA head coach. But there's a chance that half of his coaching staff is hired to uh, head coaching jobs. You got Mike D'Antoni, who's interviewing all over the place. You got Ime Udoka, who's interviewing everywhere for different openings. Uh, Jacques Vaughn uh, is rumored to be interviewing for a couple teams. I think the Pelicans are interviewing him uh, today, maybe. Um, so he, he could see some major changes on the coaching staff. We'll be interested to see, um, you know, really what impact those coaches made on this team uh, versus just Nash's impact. But um, I think those are the only changes that we would really see in Brooklyn. Nothing major at all should go down. Yep. Just run it back. I know that they've got all the talent they need and then some. And so just run it back. They'll, I'm sure they'll, they'll get it figured out um, once, once uh, the health gets, gets a little bit improved. Um, but yeah, man, lots, lots to, lots to look forward to for, for those teams. I think uh, some, some teams kind of just doing a lot of the same. Some teams got to reshuffle the deck a little bit more than others, but um, unfortunately they are, they're all headed home. We do have four teams left. We got, Two teams out east. We got the Hawks and the Bucks. That series starts tomorrow, recording this episode on, on Tuesday evening. And so uh, game one of that series will take place tomorrow night. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, just starting things out. Um, I want to hear just general thoughts on the series. I want to hear a couple keys to victory. And then finally, I want to hear the prediction. All right. Yeah, definitely. So a um, couple of things I'm looking forward to in this series. Uh, I'd say the matchups for, for both teams, really. Um, I'm still trying to figure out exactly what lineups to expect and, and kind of where the matchups go. I think those are the big questions we need answered. Um, from the Hawks side of things, the big question is who takes that Giannis assignment? Uh, do you go with Capella from the jump? I think that is ultimately oh, the answer. I think you've got to go with Capella um, as the answer. You could go with John Collins, um, although there is definitely going to be a little shock factor with John Collins going from guarding Ben Simmons in the previous series to now guarding one of the most aggressive players in the league going to the basket uh, in Giannis. Uh, but Collins, I just don't think can keep up. Uh, you obviously don't have any defenders uh, elsewhere that can try and guard Giannis. It's not Gallo. You can't put a herder on him or Bogdanovich. They're way too small. Um, I think the guy's got to be Capella. So we'll see if that's how it goes. Um, and then, you know, I'm interested to see uh, how Drew plays Trey Young. I think Drew Holiday is definitely one of the best guard defenders in the entire league. Um, so, you know, if he's able to really slow down Trey Young, this may not be much of a series. It could be over quick. Um, and then on the defensive side of things for Trey, uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. And so I think and it, there's a good chance that 
Budenholzer, I don't know if he'll do it in game one because we know that he doesn't like to make adjustments, but I wouldn't be surprised if he does it eventually by switching up this roster. Um, so we saw P.J. Tucker uh, start in all of the games against Brooklyn. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he comes off the bench in this series. I think if P.J. Tucker's on the floor offensively, it kind of gives the Hawks an out um, where they can hide Trey Young defensively, just put him in the corner uh, guarding P.J. Tucker. And yeah, you'll give up some offensive boards, but you're able to kind of hide your worst defensive player. Um, whereas if, if Pat Connaughton is the starter and you have to put Trey on Pat, it kind of allows a lot more for that Bucks offense to, to open up, run some uh, pick and rolls, kind of isolate Trey, get some switches onto maybe Chris Middleton and take advantage of those mismatches. Um, so definitely I'm looking forward to kind of how that matchup game is played and really what the, the lineups that get rolled out for each team are. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and like I mentioned, I do think the Bucs are the better team. There's only a couple ways I think the Hawks even have a chance in this series. Number one is if the role players just step up big. We have to see game seven, Kevin Herter, uh, in every game in this series. We need Gallo specifically to really step up. We need big bench minutes from Lou Will. Um, and Bogdanovich really needs to get healthy, stay healthy, and be the you know 25-per-game scorer. Uh, point per game score that he was in that first round against the Knicks. So uh, if all of those things fall in place and Capella is able to kind of go off on defense, stay out of foul trouble and slow down Giannis, then the Hawks have a chance. Um, but it's still a chance, even if all of those things fall in place, Bucks win this easy Bucks in five. I think I like the protection. Uh, I think that's great insight as well. I didn't even really think, uh, too much about the matchup issue that Giannis is going to present for the Hawks. Uh, I'm pretty out on Capella, as you know, after uh, watching that series. <laughs> really, yes, indeed, it's a tough matchup for anyone. But, man, Capella had no shot. I think he's a pretty soft player in general. Uh, can't really stand when he gets the ball offensively even. And I think his effort level and just instincts, awareness on defense are, are pretty subpar, uh, even though he's a pretty good athlete. And so, yeah, I don't have a lot of faith for for Capella, his matchup against Giannis, even though I do think that's probably the best guy they can throw out there at him. Um, but I'm with you, man. I, I've had I've had a ton of fun uh, with this Hawks team, following them along. Uh, I think Trey's proved a lot uh, in this postseason, so I'm excited for, for them. Um, but they're just early. Uh, they probably shouldn't even be in the Eastern Conference Finals this year, and they're going against a Bucks team that's uh, well overdue to, to make a finals here. And so I think everything's kind of uh, aligning for Giannis and, and the Bucks and <laughs> Coach Bud, even though he's kind of getting dragged there um, for, for the Bucks to, to come out of the, the East here. And so I, I would agree. Uh, I would say Bucks and five as well. That's what I'm taking. That DeAndre Hunter injury hurts. Guess he'd be the guy. He'd be the guy that takes the Giannis matchup. But yeah, I'm with you. Bucks and five. Glad we agree on that one. Uh, although I would love to see the Hawks put some juice into this series, <laughs> take it, take it the distance, or at least give us six or seven. Because uh, these this Hawks team is so much fun. But speaking of fun teams, man, let's hop over the Western Conference now. Uh, the Suns, maybe the most fun team in basketball. Um, you know, we talked about Devin Booker going nuts in game one. Um, how, how can the Clippers control him, man? How do, how do the Clippers handle Devin Booker going forward in this series? 
Well, I think a lot of that, it's helpful if their best player and best defender, Kawhi Leonard, can get back to health and get back out on the floor, which I, I don't know. I haven't looked. Uh, I expect him to be out uh, playing at some point in the series, whether it be game three, game four, game five, somewhere along the way. So I think that's the, the initial thing that they can do to, to slow Booker down. But like I kind of mentioned earlier in the pod, he's one of these guys where when it comes to ISO shot creation, he is elite. Um, and so there, there's not really much he can do. He can hope to throw some different looks at him to, to at least give him, uh, you know, a, a little bit, uh, make him – just, I guess, less confident um, by throwing some different looks at him just to get him out of a rhythm. But I think he's going to, you know, be cooking for most of this series, despite the the wing defenders that between Paul George and Leonard, they can throw at him. So uh, I expect the Clippers to, to battle in this one. I think they uh, have shown that they've got a lot more grit than people give them credit for. Role players like Mann and Reggie Jackson and, and Marcus Morris being able to step up. And so, uh, if it were, if I'm if I'm guessing, I think uh, the Clippers can can make this a real series, even though I do think the the Suns are rightfully favored. Do we have a prediction from you? Yeah, I'm gonna go with the uh, I'm going with the Phoenix Suns and Chris Paul in in seven. Awesome, I love it. Um, but yeah, I I do agree with you about you know Garden Devin Booker. Um, you know, it's been I think that some adjustments need to be made and. Like I mentioned earlier, Ty Lue might be the best adjuster in basketball. So I think those will be made. But it's really strange the way they were guarding Devin Booker. They were picking him up about 40 feet away and allowing that high ball screen to happen. Um, and when that ball screen was happening so high up on the court, uh, he was able really just to get to his spots and pull up from the mid-range with no one in front of him. Um, so I think they kind of got to change up some of those defensive looks. Um, have Reggie Jackson or, you know, Pat Bev when they're guarding uh, Devin Booker kind of sag off, maybe go under some of those screens rather than chase them over the top, um, which obviously you don't want to, you know, drop on every single screen and give them that three pointer because they'll knock it down. Uh, but maybe mix up those looks a little bit because you're chasing over the top of all those screens. And so Booker was able to just drive straight to the, uh, you know, mid range and get the shot he wanted every single time. So, uh, I think some of those defensive schemes, the way they're picking up Booker, need to change. Um, but Ty Lue's the guy who knows how to make that change. They're down 0-2 to the Mavs, come back, win the series. Down 0-2 to the Jazz, come back, win the series. Down 0-1 right now to the Suns. We'll see what happens tonight. But the Clippers, I still think, are going to come back and win this series. Um, I don't know if we're really going to be able to expect you know 25 points per game from Reggie Jackson. Um, but I think Los Angeles, even without Kawhi Leonard, still has enough production. You've got Marcus Morris who steps up and, and can be really good when needed. Um, you know, Terrence Mann is still a threat to come out of nowhere and, and drop 30 on you any given night. I'm not expecting that to happen, but it's definitely a threat. Um, and I just think that this Los Angeles team is ready for this fight. Um, whereas the Suns, they are maybe the most fun team in basketball. They've been so exciting, um, but they've never been here before. This is their first rodeo. This is their first time in the playoffs. Uh, you never know how much that actually affects a team. Uh, you've got an awesome leader in Chris Paul, but the rest of that core there, no one else has seen the playoffs other than Jay Crowder. 
Um, and so you really just have to figure out if they're going to be able to win some of those late series games when it comes down to the fourth quarter. So far, they've proven it in the postseason. Um, but I just think Los Angeles is going to come back, find the ways to adjust, find the schemes they need to be in, um, slow down Devin Booker just enough. And so I'm rolling with the Clippers in seven. Yeah. Hey, I think that's a, that's a smart pick. Um, Clippers, man, it's, I like that point you had on them going down 2-0 in multiple series and then, and then coming back again. Uh, their resilience as a team and, and the adjustments that their head coach, Tyron Lue, has been able to make have, have really been impressive. And so, um, yeah, I would expect uh, – I wouldn't be shocked if the Clippers are able to, to right the ship again and, and come back and pull this one out. Yeah, we'll see if it happens. And, uh, you know, you got to you got to take your moment to shine on the Sixers earlier. But if I get this Bucks clippers right. matchup, I've been calling it all year. That was my pick from day one before the season even started. And uh, it's still my pick as we're in the conference finals. So uh, we'll see if that comes to fruition. Uh, but I'm looking forward to these matchups, man. It's going to be a really good conference finals at both the West and the East. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I think you're headed in the right direction. You just might get that that finals call. Uh, I hope you threw a little coin on that future because that that would be paying out pretty nicely. Um, yeah. yeah. Speaking of it, we got we got a a Suns Clippers game that started, so we got to get to it. Um, I say we wrap things up for now. Uh, we are in the conference finals. I'm looking forward to uh, to both series as they play out, and I'll probably be back next week to to unpack them. Definitely. The game just tipped, so let's go catch it. Uh, before we go, breaking news, the Detroit Pistons will have the first overall pick in this year's NBA draft. Looks like Cade Cunningham is going to the city of Detroit, going to the Motor City to bring them back. Uh, so we'll see what happens there. But anyway, good pod, man. Good talking hoops with you. Let's go catch these games, see what happens in the conference finals, man. We'll keep everyone updated. And as always, really appreciate you guys listening. Yes, sir. The Pistons, congrats to them winning the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes. They can put him right next to Killian uh, Killian Hayes. Those skill sets aren't redundant at all. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll see. Uh, It's the Pistons, man. The Pistons never do anything but fail. So maybe this will be their chance to right the ship. Uh, You know I'm a... For some reason, a Pistons fan. Don't know where it comes from, but I'm rooting for him. I'm pumped for him. So, uh, Detroit, we'll you're a Detroit sports guy. I mean, between the Lions, the Pistons, not really a Tigers fan, but uh, but you you uh, rep the city a good bit. Yeah, I do. I've given up on the Lions, though. I'm off the Dan Campbell hire. Uh, I hope they I hope they go 0 and 16. You you don't have high hopes for Jared Goff? No, none. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think many people do. I, I sure don't. But uh, but cool, man. Well, yeah, great, great chopping up as always. Um, looking forward to, uh, to these conference final series. And we'll be back next week to, to break it all down. Um, but you guys know the drill. Thanks to all who listen. Uh, and in the meantime, feel free to, to like, rate, review the pod. Definitely helps us. And uh, we'll be back soon. Definitely keep enjoying the beach, Barton. Everybody out there, keep enjoying these games. We'll be back to cover it soon. Talk to y'all later. Peace. Peace.